Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Well, hi, everyone, and good morning. It's so good to be with you this morning. I'm Donnie Abbott. Did I hear a woo? There we go. Okay. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us, and you folks online, we're glad that you're tuning in as well this morning. As we continue our series looking at the nature of God as displayed in nature. And I don't know about you, but I found it to be a fascinating look at learning and seeing how the fingerprints of God are all over creation. The question for you and I is, do we slow down enough in our daily lives to take it in and appreciate all that God has created? We've looked at the fingerprints of God as displayed in the cosmos, birds, fields, fire, water, and this morning, I'm going to share with you about desert. Now, if you were to choose a favorite geographic location on earth, your options being the coast with beaches or the mountains, you know, places where there's forests and rain and rivers, or you could pick the desert... My guess is not many people would choose the desert. Because when you think of the desert, what immediately comes to mind? What are you thinking of? You're thinking of it's hot, it's dry, dusty, no rain. I mean, none of that sounds very appealing, right? But I actually, I have a great affinity for the desert as I lived in Palm Desert, California, which is a a neighboring city to Palm Springs. I lived out there for many years and my life radically and completely changed in the desert. I think it's important that we understand what is it that makes a desert a desert. National Geographic says that a desert is a geographic location that receives less than 10 inches of rain a year. So to give you some uh, context, here in Windsor, we, we receive about 15 inches of rain a year and about 40 inches of snow. Interestingly, there are different types of desert. I didn't know this. There are hot and dry deserts, semi-arid deserts, coastal deserts, and cold deserts. And it's no surprise that the hottest locations on our planet are to be found in deserts. And here in the United States, Death Valley has the distinction of recording the hottest temperature ever at 134 degrees. Can you believe that? I mean, you can't even get your mind around that, right? Now, the Atacama Desert, which is found uh, along the countries of Peru and Chile, it gets rain two to four times a century. And there hasn't been recorded rainfall in the interior core of that desert for over 500 years. That is until 2017, they received a torrential downpour of two inches of rain. 
And surprisingly, the driest location on our planet is actually located on the coldest continent on the planet, Antarctica. And there are some parts of Antarctica where scientists believe it hasn't rained or snowed in 14 million years. Isn't that crazy? The point of the desert is that it's dry. It's not refreshing. It, it doesn't seem like there's much life there. And if you're someone who's in the desert, usually you want to get out of it as quickly as possible. Now, in the scriptures, desert and wilderness are synonymous with one another. So you'll hear me interchange uh, those terms throughout my message this morning. The desert, as depicted in scripture, is the opposite of what God created and intended in the sacred space of the Garden of Eden, a space where God himself resided. Sacred space, keep in mind, is anywhere that God has shown up or where his presence has dwelt. Now, you might remember in Eden, there was lush vegetation. There were fruit trees and rivers. And the desert, of course, being void of those things is actually anti-Eden. It's uninhabitable. And it's the opposite of what God intended in creation. Now, the Hebrew people, they knew the desert uh, to be a place without God. They knew and would easily understand that the desert is dangerous. It's a place filled with wild dogs and unclean animals. You'll die if you go out there, if you go out into the desert. Now, understanding that as, uh, provides the backdrop and context as we read through Leviticus chapter 16. Now, you might remember this passage. This is a passage where two goats are presented to the high priest. One of the goats was blessed and offered as a sacrifice to Yahweh. And with the other goat, the high priest would place his hands on the goat's head and symbolically transfer the sins of the Israelites onto the goat. And you can see this is sort of a foreshadowing of what Jesus did many years later by taking on the sins of all mankind as he died on the cross. But this goat, this goat would become known as the scapegoat. And the goat would then be released to go where? Where do you think he would be released to? To go out into the desert, out there, into a place where, of course, sin belongs out in the desert, which is a place without God, a place that is the domain of the demon Azazel. And Jesus, when addressing the Pharisees, he also alluded to the terrors of the desert. He said, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Again, the people listening to Jesus say this, they would have understood that when a spirit is driven out of a person, they would know where it goes. Of course it goes out to the desert because that's where all bad guys go. They go out to those arid, dry places. So the question, I don't know if you wonder this, but I wonder, 
is why does God time and time again take people into the desert, into a place that is scary, a place that people understood as being void of God? Why would he take people out there? The Hebrew word for desert is midbar. And in Hebrew, it's actually spelled the same way for another word, medaber, which means to speak. So for whatever reason, God would often call people into the midbar, the desert, so that he could medaber, speak to them. Isn't that interesting? So the first point for you to write in your outline, if you're taking notes, is God speaks in the desert. God speaks in the desert. In spite of the bad reputation the desert had, it was oftentimes a location of change that took place in the lives of many of our favorite Bible characters. And we read of numerous accounts where God met with people in the desert. And he did so in order to move them on to what he had in store for them next in their life. You might remember these folks, Hagar, who was Abraham's concubine. She was sent out into the desert. And it was there that El Roy, or the God who sees, shows up and talks to her. There, of course, is the famous scene of Moses coming face to face with God by way of what? Remember, a burning bush that took place in the desert. And the Israelites, you remember, after they had left Egypt, they wandered in the desert for 40 years as punishment for their disobedience. All of these people had life-changing encounters with God in a desert experience. And then arguably, the most famous desert scene in the scriptures occurs in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, where we read, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by who? The devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now remember, again, a first century Jewish person hearing about or reading about this, they would be thinking, well, of course temptation happens in the desert. Why? Because bad things happen in the desert. So with Jesus, we see another example of God taking someone into the desert. And he did it also with the nation of Israel. As the prophet Hosea notes, I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. God made a habit of taking people into the desert to not only speak to them, but to also show them that, and this is the second point for you to jot down, to show them that he is the God of all creation, including the desert. He's the God of all creation, including the desert. In spite of unclean animals being anti-Eden and a place where people thought demonic spirits lived, the desert was and is a part of God's creation, right? And God is the ruler of all in his creation, including 
the hot, dry places. Let me ask you this. What do you think it said to those people who encountered God in the desert? What do you think it said to them? Remember, it's the place where scary things live and bad things happen. What it showed them is that God, Yahweh, is ruler over the desert and all its inhabitants. And that showed them that a desert experience, as scary as that might have been, could be used by God to further his will for their lives. And this brings me to the next point for you to write down. The desert experience positioned people for how God wanted to use them. Bringing people into the desert brought them away from the distractions of life and caused people to become fully reliant upon God. And we see that particularly with the wandering Israelites and with Jesus' temptation. But the desert experience also positioned people for what was next in their life. And that was the case with Moses taking on the gigantic task of leading over a million people. And of course, the desert experience prepared Jesus for his ministry. Okay, so all this is fine. We all understand what makes a physical desert. We see our favorite personalities in Scripture and how they had desert experiences. But how does this pertain to me? Right? That's what we want to know. Especially if you are someone sitting here this morning who is currently in what might be called a spiritual desert. I mean, what does that even look like? This writer, Marshall Perry, says, being stuck in a spiritual desert is when your heart longs for God's presence but you don't know how to find it. I mean, what do you do? What do you do when you don't want to read your Bible? What do you do when you don't want to pray because it feels as if nobody's listening? What do you do when you don't want to go to church anymore and you just kind of feel like, you know what? What's the point? Those times when you're just sort of wandering. Nothing's really filling you up or giving you life. You're just kind of bogged down by the troubles of the world. And you might even be experiencing confusion, isolation, abandonment. And all of those things cause you to search. You're searching for answers if you're in that sort of situation. Because you want to know why. Right? This one writer said, a spiritual desert season is often called a crisis of faith or a dark night of the soul. It's a time of deep, painful spiritual questioning, a time when you feel like all the certainties and securities of life are being stripped away, and what is left is just not enough to keep you going. And I dare say, 
that a spiritual desert can at times be so intense that you even question if you're saved. You question if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And of course, the worst part of all of this is that it feels as if God is nowhere to be found. The revered Mother Teresa, she at one point was experiencing a spiritual desert and she wrote in her journal, I dare not utter the words and thoughts that crowd my heart, afraid to uncover them because of the blasphemy. If there be God, please forgive me. When I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. Anyone ever felt like that? Man, I sure have. And of course, it doesn't help when you look around and all your Christian buddies, they seem to be living the good life, right? Everything's going well for them. But here's the truth. Spiritual deserts are unavoidable seasons in the Christian life. It's just the way it is. And we know this by reading the scriptures, where people could have easily felt like they were abandoned by God. You remember this guy named Joseph? He had 11 brothers. Well, they weren't the greatest brothers because they, they betrayed him. First of all, they buried him in a hole. And then they're like, no, that's not going to work. Let's try to make some money off of this guy. So they human trafficked him. They sold him in, into slavery. where they, The slave owners took him off to a foreign land, Egypt. His, Joseph's dad thought he was dead. Do you think, as Joseph is riding in the back of a, of a slave wagon, do you think he thought, you know what? I'm right in the middle of God's will. No. Joseph wasn't feeling that. Imagine if you were there. I would feel like, God, where are you? Do you see what's happening here? I think he was in a spiritual desert. What about Daniel? Daniel and many other of his uh, countrymen and women were kidnapped by foreign invaders and forced to leave their homeland. My guess is that Daniel was in a spiritual desert. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Esther, all of them and many others experienced times where I'm sure they wondered, where are you, God? Spiritual deserts, as difficult as they are, they do serve a purpose. They help to shape us and grow us in our faith. They provide depth and color to our lives and give us the ability to extend compassion to others to the point where you can say to someone else who's experiencing a spiritual desert, you can say, yep, I've been there. I know what that feels like. And if you've never been in a spiritual desert at some point in your life, you will. Because the Christian life, in spite of what any prosperity preachers might be preaching, 
isn't about going from one mountaintop experience to the next, but instead is more about how learning how you and I can apply God's word when things aren't going so hot in our lives. I had lunch with a friend of mine the other day. The day before Mother's Day, he was telling me that he was riding his motorcycle in Fort Collins and he got T-boned by some gal who was driving her car. It sent him flying 40 feet in the air. He broke eight ribs, shattered his left foot, broke his left femur in multiple spots, dislocated his right knee, tore every ligament in that knee. He had internal bleeding and a broken hand. He actually grew up in Apple Valley, California, which is known as the high desert. So my friend was well acquainted with desert living. But as he admitted to me in our visit together, since his accident, he's also been in a bit of a spiritual desert. The Reverend Merrick Zabriskie says this, a wilderness is any place where our life unravels and pain and chaos take over. We feel isolated and alone And anxiety and fear consume us. We wonder, will my marriage get back on track? Will I find another job? Will I survive this illness? Will I ever be happy again? My friend wondered about some of these things, as you can imagine. And he shared with me how he experienced moments of loneliness, of having a poor me attitude of feeling stuck. (laughs) And remember, he was literally stuck because he wasn't going anywhere unless somebody helped him. And there were times when he would cry out to God with literal tears in his eyes and ask, why? You might be in a similar place this morning where you're asking, why? Because your life just is not going quite as you had hoped and planned. There are a few lessons that we can learn from a guy who wrote Psalm 63. This guy's name was David, and the backstory is that David is running for his life. He's got some pretty substantial relationship issues going on in his life. Relationship issues, I know, can be a huge reason for causing a spiritual desert, can't they? David's father-in-law, Saul, wants to kill him. And Saul just so happens to be the king and the most powerful man in that entire region. I mean, interesting family dynamics for sure, right? Now, David would one day become king himself, but in this psalm, he has escaped to a literal physical desert, but he's also experiencing a spiritual desert. Let's read. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. 
my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David is searching, isn't he? He's searching and he's using very descriptive words. Words like earnestly, thirst, my soul faints. He's using language that illustrates where he's at in life. He's desperate. And he needs God to show up or else he's a dead man. His cry of desperation are much like the lyrics in the song we're going to sing in just a minute. Oh God, my God. I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. So, what can we take from this psalm and apply to our own lives? I know all of this can sound like a bit of a downer, right? So let's sort of end our time together on a bit of a high note. Now keep in mind, there is no prescription or magic formula to get out of a desert experience. But this Psalm of David does give us an example of some things that we can do. And the first is to look to God. Look to God. Well, how do we do that? I mean, we can't physically see God anywhere, right? But we can read his word and we can see how he interacted with his followers. And in doing that, we can gain greater insight into the character of God. So we can look to God. Secondly, we can praise God. Now, this might be totally counterintuitive, especially when you're in a spiritual desert. But remember, Paul and Silas in the New Testament, they got themselves thrown into prison. I mean, talk about a a bummer, right? But at midnight, they were singing songs of praise to God. So we can praise God for who he is. Well, who is he? Well, he is God Almighty. He is God all-powerful. He is God all-knowing. And you and I can praise him ultimately because he wants what's best for your life and for mine. Thirdly, we can pray to God. Now, this seems like an obvious one, but it can be hard when you're in a spiritual desert because, as I said earlier, it can seem as if nobody's listening. But I assure you that God is listening. God does hear your prayers, so pray to him and bring all of your cares to him. So we can look to God, we can praise God, we can pray to God, and finally, we can thank God. God is always working. So thank him for the ways that you see him working in the world. Thank him for the things that he has given you. And looking back on your life, you can thank him for the way that he's brought you through certain crazy situations, right? Situations that are worthy to thank him for. What my friend on the motorcycle came to notice 
in his life is that he has a deeper appreciation of all that is in his life. A deeper appreciation for his health, for his marriage, for his kids, for his job. He's thankful for all of those things and many others. And I think deeper is the key word to a desert experience. Because a desert experience seems to strip away the unnecessary things in life and helps us to focus on what is deeply important. And for that, you and I can thank God for it. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.